Look with me in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 3. The Bible says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write to you no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. By the way, in my Bible I have those, that phrase right there underlined and I put salvation. Darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Boy, that's, that's a difference between a changed a sinner in their sins coming then to Jesus Christ. Verse 9, He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded. His eyes. This morning I want us to look at confidence through obedience. It is found there in verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Father, bless this hour. I pray that Your hand will be upon this service. I pray that Your hand will be upon me and that I would speak Your words and not mine. Bless all that is said and all that is done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We kind of think, and as we kind of look at ourselves, uh, that... The Baptists, and particularly independent Baptists, have cornered the market on this idea of eternal security. And I would say, as a fundamental independent Baptist, we probably have. Uh, we have and take the words of God and we believe them exactly as they ought to be. We take them and don't add anything to them and we don't take anything away from them. So as we come in a series about our confidence that we can have and a confident Christian life that we'd all like to have... We're going to come at some point, and John in his writings brings us to the point that our confidence is based upon our obedience. Confidence through obedience. It's important to us. According to Ephesians chapter 1, our eternal security is sealed by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy 4.2, I know who I'm, whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You and I can rest assured that our salvation is secure because of the work and the power of God. But from that, our confidence can be bolstered by our obedience to Almighty God. This knowledge of eternal security is a wonderful gift from God. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, uh, if you were to look over there, you would see that these things, John wrote, excuse me, these things I have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we think about this idea of this word knowing and obedience. The word know, as we find uh, throughout the book of John, it is mentioned, or first John, it is mentioned 39 times in five chapters. In this small little writing, John is literally hammering home this point. You need to know this. This needs to be the bedrock of what your life is built upon. It needs to build upon your confidence. It's not something that you can lose. It's not something that you can throw away. Your salvation is eternally secure and you should know it. I'm glad today that my salvation is not based upon my actions or my feelings. 
a rainy, dreary weekend will kind of cause you to say, well, I don't feel that good. Man, I, I'm not so sure about this, this life that I'm living. I'm not that great of a person. Uh, not just the weather, but how we interact with our family. Sometimes we're going to have tension in the home. Sometimes there's going to be friction in our house. And sometimes there's going to be disagreements that come along. And, and we're going to say, maybe uh, in, in foolishness, we'll say, well, I can't believe you're a Christian and you say that. I can't believe you're a Christian and you act that way. Now, we ought to be careful in our communication process as we go, but there are going to be times that when tension builds, even within the home, uh, even when, when things go a certain way and we haven't obeyed it like we ought to the Word of God, that there are feelings are going to kind of peter out. Uh, they're going to kind of fizzle away. They're going to kind of go to the point where we think, well, maybe I'm not saved. Well, maybe that decision I made really wasn't a life-changing event. But John says in this letter... I am writing unto you so that you will know this. I'm glad that my salvation is based upon God's power and not my ability. John writes an interesting passage here in chapter 2. He says, in essence, after I'm saved, it is God's will that I obey Him for the rest of my life. Now, we all would say amen to that. Uh, most of us would say, well, you know, I agree with that, preacher. I, I, I will obey God for the rest of my life. But most of us in our practical Christian living... We'll obey Him to a point. We'll, we'll obey Him for a length of time. We'll obey Him for a period in our life. But obeying God completely for the breadth of our Christian walk, well, that's another story altogether. Pastor, are you saying you're perfect in that area? No. That's why these messages are as much directed at me as they are for you. Uh, the Holy Spirit is stepping on my toes as I study this passage and as I look into His Word. Just like when I preach, they step, He steps on your toes. And the words that I speak, I know sometimes I can... Sometimes I usually don't look at the facial expressions of people when they're preaching. I don't kind of study, well, is that person really getting what I'm saying? But I know sometimes from the... Or the, or the in the pew that sometimes when I'm preaching, these are stinging. And, and my desire is not to hurt or to harm but to preach the whole counsel of God. And so as we consider our salvation today, as we consider a confident Christian life, let us consider from this letter and from this chapter three results of obedience. Three results that happen in your life and that can happen in my life as a result of obedience. And number one, an assured heart. When I obey God, my heart has confidence. It can rest assured in the power of God Almighty in His leading and His direction. We had a wonderful time this morning. We had a, uh, I, I've been going around to the Sunday school classes and, and sitting in and listening to different teachers teach. And unfortunately this morning, Brandon taught in here. And I would love to have sat in here and listened to Brandon teach because I thought it would be Jason when I made my schedule. But I was privileged this morning to sit in and listen in the children's hour uh, to Brother Dave and Miss Peggy as they taught and sang and we didn't get to any games, did we, Keely? We didn't make it to games. Hunter's back there a little mad at me, too, because preacher took too long, I guess, in his prayer, and we didn't get to a game uh, this morning. Uh, but we had a wonderful time this morning learning about Noah's Ark. And I thought, boy, isn't it great how the Lord just works out on a certain weekend? Kids are learning about Noah's Ark, and we may actually have to build one to get out of here today. You know, it, it may be possible. It may be a necessary thing. But how wonderful it is when we study that Noah, for that hundred-plus years as he was building that ark, he went every day, and Hunter and I were kind of joking. We weren't talking in class yet. Don't worry. I didn't distract him. It was at a dull point in one of the videos we were watching. That's a wonderful video they had as well to kind of enhance the lesson. Um, I said to Hunter, I said, he, I said, can you imagine building for that long? And Hunter said, no, I can't. 
And I said, you know, I didn't get to answer and finish that thought, Hunter, uh, because they started talking, so I wanted to be quiet again on the video. But I have been building a patio in my backyard. Some of you have been over to our house and you've seen that patio, and it's not big. I mean, it's literally probably a nine-by-nine nine box that I'm building. And I've been working on it for three weeks. If I was building the ark, it would have taken 300 years to build. And so when we think about this, for a hundred-some years, that man literally every day went and hammered on that ark. His heart was confident that God had told him to do it, and he, rest, he was resting assured in that fact. You know, sometimes in our life, there are things that we're not going to understand. There's things in our life that aren't going to completely make sense. But when we simply trust and obey God, our hearts will be assured that it's the right thing that we're doing. Letter A, an assured heart is assured of salvation. That's what he says in verse 3. He said, hereby we do know that we know Him. Now, be careful because John, as he's writing, is a very familiar with our Lord Jesus Christ. He was very much a, a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, very much in, a, in a, uh, a friend, fraternal type instinct, very much in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was his Savior. And so as we think about this, he says, Hereby we do know that we know him, speaking of Jesus Christ, if we keep what? His commandments. You know if you love God, if you obey. It assures us of our salvation. This thought of knowing that we know Him is a wonderful thought for each of us. There is no joy in your life if you do not have an assurance of your salvation. Think about that. Uh, you may have professed Jesus Christ, and the old saying is, uh, have you made a profession of faith or have you made a possession of faith? Have you personally taken Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? Have you put your faith and trust completely in Him and possessing that gift that He's given? Or are you just saying it with idle words? Are you just professing Jesus Christ? Boy, what a convicting thought that is in my heart that, boy, this has got to be a thing that changes my heart. It's a possession that has to be there. And there's no joy then in my life without a true assurance. Keeping His commandments does not save me, but it assures me, is what John is saying here. It is not a work salvation, but he says you and I, as we absolutely obey the Word of God, and we take what He says and we do it in our lives, and we obey it completely, that will concrete, that will solidify in our lives the decision that we've made. Disobedient Christians are the ones who often doubt their salvation. In fact, in verse 4, he said, there are some people who will sit in a church service, and as a pastor, I'm always very careful. My desire is not for you to doubt your salvation and wallow in mediocrity in the Christian walk. But, John does say here in verse 4, there are some people who profess to say the right things, who have prayed that sinner's prayer, but who have never possessed Jesus Christ and live in sin, and he says they are liars, and the truth is not in them. Look what it says in verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments. He is not obedient. He said, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. This morning, I don't know, maybe that's you. Uh, again, my desire is not to preach someone out of their salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm simply saying, if you do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not follow the living Word of God and all the commands that are given in these pages, if you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian then I would ask you, and you've never done that, I would ask you, was your profession a false profession? Are you lying? Are you putting on a front for others to believe in? That's what John writes. He says, an assured heart 
is assured of its salvation because of an obedience, because of a keeping of the commandments. But letter C, it assures us of maturity or growth. Look what he says in verse 5 here of chapter 2. He said, But whoso keepeth his word, that's the Lord's word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. That word perfected, if you want to underline it and write it out in the, in the side there, it means to grow or to mature. It literally, it means in a sense that God's love in us is growing and perfecting and maturing. It's the same idea as sanctification. You and I, after our salvation, boy, there's a lot of sins that are still there, aren't they? Uh, if you remember back to the day you were saved, I was saved just before I turned into the teenage years. And I was a stinker in my teenage years. There were times I'm sure my parents thought, did he really make a profession of faith? Did he really get saved? And the answer was yes, I did. Uh, but I had not taken care of sins in my life. I was not obedient to the Lord. And so what John here is writing to us is that if I have accepted Christ as my Savior, the next obvious step is an obedient pathway, an obedient lifestyle that is in accordance with the Word of God and the commands of God because this will help the love of God be perfected or to grow into perfection to maturity in my life. It assures us of our growth or our maturity. The word keepeth, by the way, uh, in verse uh, 5, whoso keepeth his word means literally to guard continually. The Greek word used for keepeth is in the present continuous tense. So literally what he says is every single day you go out, every single day that you walk about this life, you need to be actively, continually guarding your heart. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the warrior's armor that we ought to be wearing. He said, look, this is a fight. If any of you, and one of the disadvantages of being a pastor is I do not rub elbows or walk in the day-to-day -day corporate world or the work environment or in a secular workplace. I don't have that uh, in my life anymore. And so sometimes as a preacher, I kind of fall back into that little bubble of, well, isn't everybody you know saved? And you say, well, no. Everybody in here, I think, is, or everybody that comes to our church, I hope, is. And everybody here at least puts on a religious front, and so we can talk about religious things. And so, so this circle is, preacher, but man, on Monday, it's a lot different than Sunday. Boy, in our neighborhood, man, there's a lot of rotten kids in our neighborhood. And as a mommy, i got to deal with a lot of rotten people on every, every turn and in every home in my neighborhood. You know, I don't live in the world you live in, preacher. And really, as we think about that, that's what John is writing. He said, how do you assure your heart of spiritual maturity? How do you assure your heart of obedience? And the answer to that is by a continual guarding or keeping of it. He said, literally, get it out and get your defenses ready. Get your weapons out. Get your armor out and get your defenses ready and start guarding yourself every single day. That means when you flip on the television... Even if it's a good program that you've always liked, if there's garbage on it for that day, turn it off. Because it's a continual guarding. You open the paper, you turn on the radio, uh, you have conversations at work that are leading the wrong way. You know, it's, it's hard, but you can say to people, hey, listen, I can't talk about that. Hey, listen, I should, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be going that way. That is literally the act of guarding or keeping your heart, staying pure to the commands that God has given to us in His Word. The clear indication is that our hearts will be growing deeper in faith and trust in God as we keep His commandments. We often think that the deepest we are in our faith is at the moment of salvation. But that's far from the truth. 
You're a baby at that point. Uh, when you and I got saved, we are literally babes in Jesus Christ. That's why Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. I ought to come back to the Scriptures and desire the milk of God's Word to nourish and grow me spiritually. That's how I know what I should be keeping against and how I ought to be guarding my life. The more I obey from the heart, the more I am assured in my heart of my salvation. John 14 and verse 15, he said, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. He said, look, it, it, it's, it's real simple. If you love me, if you have professed me, if you put your faith and trust me, if you love me and you are associated with me, Jesus Christ, then keep my commandments. It, that is the wonderful thing. If you study, and, and, and I have not, I'm, I'm doing another study in my Bible study series for myself, my personal Bible study right now. But starting in the summertime, I'm literally going to just study the life of Jesus Christ. I've done this before. But when you study the life of Jesus Christ in all of his interactions and in all of his sayings and all of his comments to people, he's so direct. Uh, there's no meandering or beating around the bush. There's none of this mealy mouth kind of attitude that you and I sometimes have. Uh, there's no, none of this kind of, uh, 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 of soft-shoeing it. Jesus Christ was just simple and direct. Uh, sometimes he was cutting, sometimes he was kind, uh, he, he dealt with people in different ways. Uh, but Jesus Christ himself says here, look, if you love me, keep my commandments. I, I, you know, if it were me, I would have said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not hard. I'm not making this difficult. I'm making it simple. But he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience brings maturity. So this morning, do you delight to obey God? Do you delight in serving him based upon his word? You ought to. An assured heart is a result of obedience. But number two, an abiding walk is also the product or the result of obedience. An abiding walk. He says in verse 6 now, He that saith he abideth in me ought himself also so to what? Walk. Even as he, that's Christ, walked. This morning, will you live how Jesus lived? Wait, pastor, are you saying i got to sell my house and just walk around for three and a half years? Is that what you're saying? No, no. But are you willing to follow in the steps of the Savior? Uh, what a wonderful thought it is in our hearts that we ought to be doing this. And we see an abiding walk really has two parts. Letter A, keeping close. I cannot abide with someone. I, I cannot uh, have fellowship and a closeness or, or, or a, a, an abiding presence with them unless I keep a close in proximity to them. In fact, look in chapter 2 and verse 15. Skip down there and down here to verse 15. He tells us what it really means to abide. He said, this is the product of an abiding child. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. John said, listen, you have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That is, those are three areas that the devil attacks in every single one of our life. He said, those things do not keep you close to God, but when you do the commandments of God, that's when you're abiding near Him. By the way, it's been said that nearness is likeness. If I'm near to someone, I start to become like them. I feel sorry for my wife. 
uh, as we grow old together, and we're not there yet, sweetheart, but as we grow old together, uh, there is going to be times where people say, you know, you two are starting to look alike. Well, I'll take that as a compliment because that means I'm getting more beautiful. And she should take that as a cutting comment because she is getting uglier and uglier. She's looking like me, that means. In all seriousness, we see that nearness is likeness. People that have been married for any length of time, they start to act the same, don't they? I could not be amazed this weekend when when you're separated from your family for a a length of time. And we hadn't seen my mom and dad for almost two and a half, three months almost since they had come down uh, the last time. It, it strikes me every time they're here how much they'd start acting alike. When I was a kid, they acted a little bit alike, and they, but they had their different. But boy, now that they've been married almost 40 years this July, they start acting a lot alike. Uh, and there's similarities. And I hear, I hear uh, Ms. Linda over there laughing, and I see Neil and Cookie laughing, Bob and Brenda are laughing. I mean, I understand that the longer that we're with one another, uh, Roscoe and Fern, I'm not sure, I didn't see you laugh. I saw Fern, I think she was laughing a little bit. But, but we see this idea here uh, that there is this understanding that the longer we're with our spouse, the more we're like them. Well, you know, the same is true with Jesus Christ. The closer I keep to my loving Lord Jesus, the more I'm going to be like Him. Abiding means to linger long in the presence of one. It is the idea of when you were, back when you were dating and when you first started dating, you didn't want the other person to leave at the end of the date. Remember, uh, sometimes you would, oh, goodbye, dear. And they would be walking in, then on the way home, you'd call them on the cell phone. Well, if you had cell phones back then, you know, when you started dating, I don't know. But, but you'd call them on the cell phone and you'd say, you'd say, oh dear, did you get inside fine? Oh, I did. Okay, fantastic. It's that idea of anything and everything I could do to linger long in my spouse's presence. Then you get to year five, like Jess and I are, and it's like, yeah, there we are. Somebody go change through. You know, and, and, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But that idea of keeping close, that's the freshness that we have to have with God. That will keep us in direct obedience to His Word. When I'm close to Him, I'll not want to obey. And when I do obey, it will draw me away. And I will move out of that abiding presence. John 15 and verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So when I abide with Jesus Christ, when I abide in Him and I keep close to Him and I obey His words, I should have fruit. My question then is, how's your fruitfulness? He said, boy, pastor, I'm fruity. I'm a little nuts. I'm losing my mind. That's not what I mean. How's your fruitfulness for the Lord? How's your fruitfulness in your Christian walk? That means, how are you doing in soul winning? How are you doing in growing in the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, meekness, temperance, faith. Uh, How are you doing in those things? Are you improving in those? Are you growing? How's your fruitfulness? Your fruitfulness will show your nearness. It will show how you do in abiding. But secondly, letter B... He says that we're, it's an abiding walk in verse 6. He said that we're walking. So we're abiding close to Him. And literally, I get this picture that as Jesus Christ goes, and we've all heard the poem, and I, I certainly wouldn't try to quote it, but the footprints, and, and as we walk along with Jesus Christ, that's the picture that John is painting here. That literally, hand in hand, or arm in arm, or arm around one another, we are literally walking through the spiritual life with our Lord Jesus Christ right at our side. When troubles come, He's there to help. What happens is as we've fallen out of our obedience and we've fallen away from Him and our confidence is shaken, it's because the Lord is continuing to move forward. And that's letter B. We should always be moving forward in this Christian life. What happens is we stop walking and the Lord continues down what He wants for us and where He wants to lead us. And we get farther and farther and farther away from Him. 
And to the point sometimes in our spiritual life that he grows dim in the distance. And he becomes very small and an obscure part of our life. And he's not a real tangible part of our Christian walk anymore. If I'm going to obey God, then I'm going to continue step for step with him. In fact, look here in chapter 2 in verses... uh, Excuse me, verse 24 through 29. John talks about this. He applies what he's teaching. He says, let, therefore, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. By the way, uh, I have boxed in in my Bible the word if in verse 24 and the word if in verse 29. Those words if in the Greek literally mean this. Certainly to take place. So, he says, if it certainly took place that you have heard from the beginning. He's talking here about his salvation. Listen, that thing that certainly took place in your life. You could, some pastors will say that means the word since. And I think that's okay to say. Uh, my belief is that if the translators wanted to say since, they would have written, written the word since. Uh, but, but the word if here in the Old English, in the language of the King James Version, literally meant a certainty. Uh, Since it certainly took place, he says, uh, in your life, uh, in the beginning, you'll continue in the Son and in the Father. And this, he says in verse 25, is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. He said that place, that time in the past, your salvation, that took place for you, that began your relationship with Jesus Christ, that began your relationship with the Father again, he said the promise that is in that is eternal life. Verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. That means pull you away. But the anointing which ye have received, there's that third part of the Godhead, by the way, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things. He's talking here of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ himself said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. And so John here heard those words, recorded those words in his gospel, and is here alluding to those words again. That the anointing of the Holy Spirit who comes upon us and dwells us at salvation will teach us all things. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and the truth is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have, what word? Confidence. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know, there's that word if again, certainly to take place, uh, yet you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. He said, look, it's obedience. Uh, This section of John's writing is all about obeying God. And he said obedience here is an abiding walk. It's keeping close to God and it's moving forward. I think of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto we are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Notice the next phrase, that ye should follow His steps. We need to keep moving in this Christian life. If we're disobedient and we're not following or obeying and doing the commands that God has laid out in His Word, then we are, if you will, as a car in neutral while Jesus Christ is in overdrive, moving forward in this life and where He wants to take us in our spiritual life. We are parked in neutral, not moving at all. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Be there, or excuse me, 5 1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. I remember hearing a story once of a real fiery evangelist, and he was having people uh, stand up or to shout in church, Amen! Every meeting that he would preach. So he decided during that week that he would form a committee 
And that committee of men would go and watch these people as they walked through their life in their daily life. Uh, those who were shouting amen in the service. He wanted to see if their life matched their shout. If it did, then he would allow them to shout in the next week's meeting. Now, nobody's shouting in here, and that's fine. We get an, every once in a while we'll get an amen. You know, you're stepping my toes that hard. Uh, we'll get an amen in here or somebody will say an amen in here. And that's certainly good. But some of us, have you ever been to those camp style meetings? You know, and you get a whoop and a rooting and a preacher and he's preaching. Sometimes I wonder about some of them hollerers. Some of them people that just whoop. Amen, preacher, come on, preacher. Yeah, okay, good. I've been in some of those. Uh, and... and, and I've never been one of those people, but, but I, I've been in some of those meetings, and I've, I've certainly heard people do that, and it's always struck me, is that guy really living that on Monday, or is it a show? And that's what we have to understand that John is really writing to here. He said, listen, don't be a liar. Just be obedient and abide in your walk with God. Third and final this morning, the result of obedience is a loving life, and we'll be quick about this. He talks about in verses 7 through 11 a new commandment that was given. And certainly as you watched Jesus Christ walk this earth, he talked about the Ten Commandments and the importance of them. But Jesus, as he was confronted about certain commandments of the Old Testament, he said, look, the law says that you shall not commit murder. But I say if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. And what is Jesus Christ introducing? Well, he's introducing a new thought process on the old laws. The old laws were why I follow them to the letter. What God and Jesus Christ himself was saying is, you need to follow him from a heart or an intent to do differently. It's the desire within your heart. It is a love for God that changes your outlook on life and how you interact with others. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this all men shall know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? Love one to another. There is a sense in which this commandment is very old, and in a sense it is very new. So we see John defines love, the definition of love, letter A. He defines it in verses 7 and 8. He said, look, here's the definition of what love is. If you're obedient to God, this is how love looks in your life. He said, darkness is past and true light now shineth in verse 8. That is the result of God. We are to love with an agape love, as we've heard so many times and I have preached on uh, before. An agape love is a deep, spiritual, unconditional love. It is the type of love that, it, that God has for mankind. And I liken it this way in my own mind. I love my wife. I love golf. Do you think the two are on the same level in my mind? Not for one second. Bob might, because he goes on visitation with me. He knows I love golf. But I love my wife exponentially farther that I love golf. But you think about that. Uh, you, you, I, I, my wife is, is far more important to me than a silly game. Uh, when golf, uh, I hit a bad shot, guess what? I don't love it anymore. <laughs> it's conditional. Uh, when I shoot in the mid-90s, uh, I don't love it anymore. Uh, when my, my ball doesn't go in the hole, and I, I kind of say, you rotten sinner, I look at the golf ball and say, I don't really love golf that much anymore. But Jessica could do anything to me, and I would love her still. Why? Because there's an unconditional agape love, a Christ-like love that I should have for my wife. And really, we ought to have it first for our Heavenly Father and for Jesus Christ. And then that love, the Bible says it's in us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the love of God should be shed abroad in our hearts 
Paul says. So as we consider this, the definition of love is an agape love, an unconditional love for those around us. John here is telling us that love also is an action. It's a doing thing. It is a function, not a feeling. We should be doing and serving other people. I I, kind of thought of it this way. There is no law to care for your kids. If you have children today that are under the age of 18, there is no, or excuse me, there is a law that says you have to care for your children. But you don't care for your kids just because you don't want to go to jail. You care for your kids because you love them. Oh, there's a law that says, look, you, you don't feed that kid and they're malnourished, then we're going to come in and we're going to, either throw, we're going to throw you in jail and we're going to take custody away from you. There's a law that says that. But I don't feed Drew because of that law. I feed Drew because I love my son. And so we understand this concept in our lives in practical applications. Well, I don't come to church because God commands me to come. I come to church every Sunday because I love being here. Because it's an exciting place to be because there's wonderful fellowship that we can have. So the definition of love, letter A, but letter B, there is a consistency of love that we see as well. The consistency of love. He that saith he is in the light, in verse 9, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Now this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. He says, if you go to your brother or your sister and you say, I hate you. Now, uh, we have talked about this idea of love, that it, sometimes the word gets overused and so it loses its value. Uh, I, I preached a message and one of the points of a couple months ago was about the word fool. You know, uh, we, we, we have lost what the value of the Bible sense of the word fool is. Uh, the fool in the Bible is an atheist. Fool said in his heart, there is no God. All right? And so God has a very... Uh, Jesus said, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hellfire yourself. In other words, a very condemning thing. So the idea of fool is, is lost. The word hate is one of those words as well. We've lost the meaning of the word hate. And what John says here in very clear words, he that, he, he that saith he is in the light in verse 9 and hateth his brother is in darkness. You and I have to be, must be, forgiving people. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 says, Charity or love never faileth. There needs to be a consistent nature to our love. There doesn't need to be a roller coaster ride. Well, honey, you burn that chicken. I can't believe it. I'm just so mad at you and my anger is frothing. No. No roller coaster love. A consistent, godly example of love in my home, in my church, in my community. You and I ought to be living these kinds of examples. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not our own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. You cannot say you are saved and be filled with hate, is what John here says. Love and hate are like oil and water. They don't mix. They can't. We should hate sin, Proverbs 6 says. Pride, lying, the tongue, murder, sowing of discord, those kind of things in Proverbs chapter 6. We should hate homosexuality. But we should not hate the person. We should hate lying, but we should not hate the liar. We should hate murder, but we should not hate the murderer. You say, that's so hard for me to understand. I don't think I could fathom that. Well, that's what the Bible says. That we're to be a forgiving people. Kyle, I can't do that, you might say this morning. I remind you that your responsibility is to obey the Word of God. Obeying the Word of God will produce the right type of a loving life in your life. It's obedience. And that love will come from our loving Lord Jesus Christ. He Himself will help us to love the right way. If a Christian has hatred in his life, three things I think take place. 
You live in darkness, as we see in verse 9. It will cause a stumbling, as you see in verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. People will be misled by your testimony if you hate or hold anger against another. Three, it will hinder your spiritual progress in verse 11. The Bible says, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness. Look, if God, our Lord Jesus Christ is walking in the light and he is the light of the world and we are walking in darkness, we're literally walking the other direction from him because light and dark cannot coexist one with the other. So as we think about this, it will hinder my spiritual progress. An overwhelming result of obedience to God is love in our hearts for those in his family. Do you love people in this church? Do you love other Christians? Uh, I, I love going to a restaurant and, and when we pray, somebody coming up and saying, hey, listen, thank you for praying. Or if I see somebody, I always will try, unless I'm interrupting like some romantic evening, uh, I, I will always try to stop it and say, hey, listen, thank you so much for praying. That's a wonderful thing. It, because it shows the family of God. It, it, very rarely will someone who's not a true Christian bow their head and pray in public. One characteristic that will be abundantly clear in the life of an obedient Christian is love. It has to be produced from us. It's one of those fruits from abiding close to Him. It is through obedience to His Word that we develop a deeper confidence in our faith. Obedience, it is said, is the very best way. We understand as I'm obedient to God this morning, I have an assured heart. I will have an abiding walk and I will have a loving life through Jesus Christ. If you're lacking any of these today, there's two problems with you. One, you're not saved. Or two, you're just not obedient. You say, really, it's, it's, it's that cut and dry? Yeah, it's that simple. Either you're not saved or you're just not obedient to the Word of God. Today is a day to make that decision. I think of the song as we close, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way, what? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey.